Welcome to Arrested DevOps, Episode 11. DevOps at Etsy, not a unicorn, just a sparkly horse. I'm your co-host, Matt Stratton. I'm at Matt Stratton on Twitter. And I'm your co-host, Trevor Hess, at Trevor G. Hess on Twitter. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, a cloud services company that believes DevOps makes their clients more awesome. You can check out their 360-degree cloud services at 10thMagnitude.com. Tonight on Arrested DevOps, we're going to go take a flash to the past. Anybody who's listened to our first episode, but you might remember Matt saying something like this. We're going to really try to steer clear of name dropping, so you're not going to hear me say, you know, when I was talking to John Allspaw at Velocity. Matt, do you remember <laughs> saying that? Uh, it's, it's possible. Well, it just so happens we're talking to the ops team at Etsy today, uh, whom John Allspaugh is a member of. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get started with that, I just got some personal news. Um, I'm actually going to be joining, or have already joined, the 10th Magnitude team. So I'm going to be working in the cloud with DevOps and with Matt, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I've got some news too. So I, I swear this is not because Trevor is joining 10th Magnitude, but I am actually leaving 10th Magnitude and uh, I will be joining Chef. Um, sad to leave 10th Magnitude, but leaving him in capable hands with Trevor and real excited to go join Chef. This episode is sponsored by PagerDuty. PagerDuty helps businesses increase their reliability by connecting people to their global operations with actionable intelligence. PagerDuty makes it easy for engineering teams to manage the entire life cycle of their instance in order to decrease things like resolution time and improve quality of life for everybody who's on call, which is someone who's been on call before, I dig. Uh, PagerDuty is trusted by Nike, GitHub, thousands of other companies, including Etsy. And PagerDuty helps keep the systems you're using every day online by making sure the right people know at the right time about issues so they're resolved quickly and before they become major customer-impacting failures. You can check them out at pagerduty.com. To quote uh, Bridget Crumhout on Twitter, she says she likes to level up her game by learning from Etsy. We were going to make that our title, but uh, John Cowie from Etsy said that was far too unicorn-ish. So we went with Sparkly Horses. And let's get started. First on our panel, we have John Cowie. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is John Cowie. I'm a senior ops engineer on the team at Etsy. And I, I resolutely maintain that we are not a unicorn. We have uh, the same problems as everybody else does. But what we're going to try and, I guess, talk a bit about today is how, how we deal with them and how we, how we do some of, the, some of the engineering stuff we do. So I'm kind of, I guess, my primary jam is uh, chef stuff. I do, I've written a lot of our chef tool over at Etsy, and I'm uh, working on a chef book for O'Reilly at the moment, which I'll hopefully be coming out to you. My name is John Alsbaum, and I manage the infrastructure and operations uh, organizations at Etsy, which is uh, roughly about half of the engineering org at Etsy. And my name is Pete Bellisano. I'm a web operations engineer and a newest member of the team. And I'm David Yerkowitz, um, a web operations engineer. I've been roughly here for a year, and uh, yeah, loving every moment here. So for our listeners who don't know, uh, Etsy really does enjoy a reputation in the industry for being a shop that quote-unquote gets DevOps, if not really setting the standard. So I'd like to know, guys, uh, why do you think you guys enjoy that reputation? So I, I, to, to kind of answer that, this is, this is tailing on from the discussion uh, we had on Twitter the other week about uh, when somebody mentioned Etsy was a unicorn. Um, there's kind of a bit of a, 
there, there are a couple of companies in which, which I think Etsy is one who tends to be considered unicorns in the industry. But what I, what, what, what I was saying on Twitter, what I, what I believe is that I think calling Etsy a unicorn is a bit of a misnomer because that implies that we, you know, somehow have magical powers that other people don't. And really, I think, I think if you know, I guess the secret to the way Etsy does operations is not that we have, you know, magical powers that people don't, or we have this, you know, these innate abilities that no one else has. You know, we have all the same problems as every other company out there does. We have servers that break, we have software with bugs, we get paged in the middle of the night. Um, I think if if I could put my finger on it and say anything that that lets Etsy do what we do is that we have. You know, from from the C, the CEO down, um, IT and engineering is recognised as a core competency of the company, and we've put um, the resources and and practices in place to make sure that. I mean, basically, we've solved quite a lot of the easy problems. So that that the combination of those lets us be more proactive than reactive. So we're spending less time firefighting and more time, you know, doing things. You know, like we get to speak on podcasts, and we have time to contribute to open source software because we aren't. I guess we aren't spending quite so much time fighting fires because we've put we've put in the work and the resources and the headcount to make sure that we have the space to do, you know, proactive stuff as well. What would you guys say would be like the the short version, the spark notes of uh, DevOps at Etsy? Uh, well, I mean, I, I would just say pretty much like you know each company kind of does it differently. I think one of the greatest things here is that how 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 is level between like you know different teams and uh, between operation and we have like all developers and it's it's how seamless we interact with each other um, you know the the fact that if someone's working on something you know there, there's really no barriers between you know collaborating between each team I think that's probably like the biggest thing that you know that that we can probably say is like the the seamless interaction that happens and you know it's it's it, how it kind of all kind of works together uh, real nicely. Um, like we have you know people like we have specifically to our search stack or or um, even in our own like we have uh, in in depth tools and we have different different teams and like you know if we have a, a meeting for a new feature that's coming you know we have that collaboration it kind of naturally organically happens and I think that's what actually just makes it you know work so well I think an even shorter version is we I had, I had this discussion I think it was with, with Matt at Chefco um, we we trust our colleagues and we communicate with them I think those two things pretty much underpin the entire thing What's been the history? Your the history of DevOps at Etsy. So we see where you guys have gotten, but kind of what what did you see as were some of the transformative things that you had to do or that were necessary to make it be successful? It's a good question, and and uh, I think that um, the A answer would be that there's there wasn't a single concerted effort. It's not like we. Um, when I first got to Etsy, um, there was a bunch of the infrastructure, a bunch of, actually, uh, basically, a, somewhat of a reinvention of engineering as a discipline as a whole. But it, it's not like we had to do some campaigning. It's not like, well, there's this thing called DevOps, and let's have some lunch and learns about DevOps. There wasn't a lot of marketing that needed to happen. In fact, it's it still is very very weird to hear the word DevOps. If you hear if if somebody says DevOps in the office, 
it it feels very weird. You're probably you're probably referencing something that someone said on the internet, and not you wouldn't hear it in your in your in 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 you know colloquial in regular conversation. It just feels weird to say. So um, so I wouldn't say that there you know there I can't boil down to like a uh, a, a pithy well. Here are the three, you know, or five, or ten, or a hundred steps that we went. Um, what we went with, we. Um, I think what it meant was that decision making needed to recognize domain expertise and finding a sort of um, a, a shared mutual understanding of various problems that we needed to solve. Um, but in that high trust uh, way that Cowie pointed out, um, I realize I'm being vague, but you know, outside of outside of specifics, um, there wasn't um, much other than that. And don't be an asshole, really. Um, that that was that was put in place. How's that for an answer? I think that's great. I think the the thing that that resonates with me was. I love the fact that you guys don't use that term. Like you said, it's weird, right? It's just sort of business as usual. And right. if other people have put that that name on it, awesome. But whatever, this is just how we work. It really helps to underpin as a, it, the concept is, you know, a series of concepts and best practices, so much as a quantitative thing that you know, you know, there's the same reason everybody gets who who really believes in the the concept. And the best practices gets angry when people says we need more DevOps. We need more, you know, we want to buy DevOps. Yeah, it's, it's like a it's a buzzword. It's like in the in our industry we have a lot of buzzwords that kind of like come in and like either they'll they'll turn into like these marketing terms and like it's sadly that the whole movement has turned into like oh well hey this we're you know we're marketing and we're 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 giving you DevOps. You can have DevOps this way. So that's why I kind of agree with John. It's kind of a a joke and like if you say oh well let's you know no one says hey let's do DevOps today like that's just kind of there, there's something about you know that the word is underspecified that's all it's it's that um, it's no different than you know it's no different than cloud it's no yeah. different than um, but it's no different than there's no different than compliance it's no different than scalability it's no different than resilience I think that part and parcel of getting in good engineering work done is paying attention to language and engineering as a whole generally has a low tolerance for things that are, are, are either underspecified or um, or don't have enough um, uh, specification to to be useful in conversation so you wouldn't say oh well we need more um, oh, let's let's take a look at this architecture. Okay, well, we need to store information in a database, and so we need to maybe cache it, and then we need to, you know, uh, retrieve it. Okay. Well, you never say, say somebody would never say, oh, well, I think what we need here is more robustness. So let's just add some more robustness to it, <laughs> right? That that would be the start of the conversation, not the end of the conversation. And Absolutely. so, you, you, and like. The second question after that is, okay, what do you mean by like it? Agreed, it needs to be more robust. Now, 
let's talk about what that means because we How do we, we need to it, yeah. we need to yeah we need to we need to sort of unpack it and that's the reason why it's just sort of a waste of time to say uh, to say um, to say DevOps because um, if the if the real thing that you want to get at is hey uh, I this this um, this revelation uh, of, uh, of, of something new or a departure in the way we wrote an alert or something along those lines um, you wouldn't you wouldn't you would just say oh hey here are the here are the reasons why this is surprising to me I saw this you know I saw this design document or I saw this metric and it went a little weird and that was surprising to me you wouldn't say there's not enough DevOps in this graph, um, uh, or, or, or along those lines. You you know you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I absolutely agree. I, I like the idea that you know we can use a common term as a starting point of the conversation. And I think that, and I I also really really agree, uh, David, with your point about how it's like we have these buzzwords and they've been latched onto from a marketing perspective. And it's to me, it's a it's it's a it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, the good thing is it's getting the the idea out there, so it gives us a shortcut to start a conversation. But but then, like John, like you said, when it becomes the end of the conversation, then you haven't accomplished anything. So I, I really do struggle with the word um, yeah. in that way. But I think once you're doing work, you know, then it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, yeah. and and it only it only becomes problematic if. You're, if you end up um, uh, being satisfied with um, with leaving it there, right? It's no it's no different than it's no it's no different than the terms human error or situation awareness or complacency. Um, these are all just they're 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 fine words. They're just underspecified. That's all. My understanding is that you know, Pete, you're you're certainly not new to technology, but kind of this is a, a different type of a role for you. And I'd love to have a little bit of background, like where you came from, th at least sure. philosophically, and what you're seeing is different being at Etsy. Absolutely. Um, actually, about ten years ago, I was in uh, IT. Um, I actually worked with some of the guys that are, are here now, um, and I actually I, I left to start my own business, totally outside of technology. I did that for about seven years, and I, uh, I actually became a fan of Etsy during that time, um, not aware of the fact that I still had you know, my friends that were working here, guys I used to work with, and uh, I missed the technology, so I got tired of being my own boss, and I actually joined the team of, of uh, Corp IT in uh, February of 2013, did that for about a year, and I just joined the ops team in uh, January, so um, the transition's been amazing. One of the things I guess John and David were touching on, and John also bought two, sorry, it's two Johns, was that, you know, the, the thing that made made it possible was uh, the culture that we have. Yeah. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, that's the reason why I'm here, um, both, you know, from seeing it outside and also, you know, being a part of it internally. Um, the culture is very uh, nurturing. There's a lot of collaboration. There, there's really no limits to what you can do if you have the, the drive and the... Uh, They'll want to ask a lot of questions because everybody's more than accessible. So, cool. And then, um, you know, David, uh, I understand you're relatively new to Etsy, but you've been been in this web ops world for for quite some time. So, how, any any thoughts that you have about things that you're seeing that are really done 
differently where you're at now? Yeah. Strike you? Yeah, I mean, sure, definitely. I mean, I I've, I've been doing in like IT regular system administration for quite a while, and it's it's one thing that I find interesting here is that um, like what Pete touched on, it's culture, um, and you can't really buy culture. You can't really like just just kind of get a consultant to come in and like, hey, we're gonna change how we do things. We're gonna do either you know, DevOps or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, here it's actually the, the, the culture actually enables the, the openness to um, have people to, you know, learn a lot and touch new technologies and actually, like I said earlier, like one thing that I, it, that it's, you know, I love about this place is the, the, the natural way that we kind of like solve problems together. We don't have to be in the same team, but like how, uh, you know, cross teams, you know, they, they work together. And like I said, it's organically, it just happens. And it's, it's, it's very it's very natural. And, you know, like what, you know, what Allspot said, it's like pretty much like, you know, everyone's, it's, you know, it's pretty much don't be an asshole. Like we're solving things together. And we kind of actually, we kind of like uh, who we work with. So it works really well. And in other places that I work, um, we were, you know, we we're working with similar technology, but um, there were there were a lot of limitations. Uh, there was a separation between like the system administrators and you know the operational people and like and 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 the developers and DBAs and stuff like that. So that segregation like hinder the culture, hinder a lot of the projects, a lot of the you know uh, things. You know if there were new ideas where you needed to like you know take a DBA or a certain developer for something else, like it would hinder that. Here you know if you have an idea, I can. Go to a DBA. Hey, what do you think about that? And then, hey, I need help with front end stuff. I can talk to people in front end and, uh, and so forth. So it's it's that that you know the, the, the natural like collaboration that happens here because of the culture. It's 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 what makes it pretty awesome here. So if I'm, if I'm understanding what you're describing of the culture, you guys have a very like open workspace. You don't separate you know developers from ops from IT. Everybody kind of works in the same space, I'm guessing. Or could you put some more definition of? I mean, there's a lot of cross pollination. Yeah, I mean, we yeah we have a lot of that. I mean, as far as like you know we we have teams of course specifically uh, under the operation infrastructure umbrella. We have specific teams for like like I said earlier, Dev Tools. We kind of deal with you know tooling internally, core, uh, and, and 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 some that work with the search infrastructure and uh, performance and stuff like that. So we have those teams kind of separated, but as far as like you know, it's open space. Like like for example, in our office, like you know, I, I sit you know with pretty much with all the people in operations. But like uh, you know, I have Corp IT sitting like next to us. John sits like not too far from us. So it's like a very open space. So if I have a question, I can just get up and like, hey John, what do you think about this graph? Or like John might come, hey, I like that graph. Can you tell me what's what's going on here? So it's it's the the open is very open, like as far as the the, the office. So it kind of it kind of you know enables that um, cross um, you know working experience. I'd say. But then on the on the flip side, I mean, so I, I actually live in the UK, so we have a lot of remote employees as well. Um, I think one of the one of the most powerful, I guess, the most powerful thing about Etsy's culture is that what what David was just describing there about the office culture, you know, cross pollination between teams and stuff. That doesn't. I mean, it is an open plan office, but the communicate. I don't think the communication is a result of you know the layout of the furniture in the office. Mm -hmm. uh, so like the, the same cross pollination happens with me as a remote employee. I mean, I work five hours behind and several thousand miles away from 
most of the people I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, but they're still the same, you know, albeit on the, you know, video chat or IRC or email, they're still the same cross-pollination of ideas and kind of intermingling of ideas within teams and all that sort of stuff, you know, within remote teams as well as you said it, in the same geographic location. Pretty much all the communication, most of it happens in IRC. So uh, we have all these channels where all the general communication happens, and like I can be talking to someone that's right here in the Brooklyn office, or someone that's like in the West Coast, or like someone like John that's in London, and it's it's very seamless. It's it works really well, and I think that that actually helps. So you talk about the culture. The culture's awesome, and again, I mean, I think we 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 we've. Uh, could probably agree that you know culture is the, the the hard part, right? The tools are easy, but do you when when folks come in um, to start working at Etsy, do you sometimes see them get kind of a culture shock if they've come from a place that doesn't have this level of trust? I mean, I, I think about you know I've been doing sysadmin for a long time, and I always would make the joke that like your best sysadmins are super cynical because their yeah. job is to assume that everything's going to break and that sometimes corresponds into that they don't trust people because, and I, I don't know, I just kind of, I think about like a lot of the sysadmins I've worked with and could see them coming to Etsy and be waiting for the other shoe to drop the whole time, being like, what's the catch? This is this sounds too good, you know, what, or developers coming in and having a different approach. Do you see that happen? I might grab this one because I've actually been in exactly the position you're describing. So my, my background before Etsy, I've been at Etsy about two and a half years now, um, before Etsy, I always worked at very, very small startups where I was the only, the only ops person, the only sysadmin. And I developed a very, I guess you would call it a very sort of BOFH attitude. Like, I am the sole, you know, the infrastructure is mine. I'm solely responsible for it. Nobody else can touch it or they'll break it. So for me, when I joined Etsy, one of the, it wasn't quite a culture shock. It was more of a, I had to adjust the way I was thinking because Whereas in, in the companies I was used to working for, you know, if, some, if, if a server went down, I would have someone screaming at me on the end of the phone. Mm -hmm. I would say one of the biggest adjustments I had to make coming to work at Etsy was this idea that, that I mean, lar largely thanks to, uh, to people like, to people like Allspaw and, and Micro and Betsy, my, who was my direct boss at the time, promoting this idea that, like, essentially shit happens. Like, things are going to break. With all the will in the world, you cannot defeat human error. So rather than yelling at people for when the inevitable happens and something goes wrong, let's try and figure out, you know, how, how to learn from that. And, you know, okay, a mistake happened. What were the assumptions that led, you to, that led you to do what you did? How can we avoid that next time? Can we improve our monitoring? So I think for me, the, it was this, this thing I was saying before of, of trusting your colleagues and communicating with them, particularly on the trust side, given I was used to being the guy who got yelled at. I'd say the biggest adjustment was, it was a nice adjustment to have to make, just this idea that all of a sudden I'm not the only person interested in keeping the systems running. Like, developers own their availability too, and, you know, there's developers on call I can wake up if something goes wrong with the code that I can't fix. And it was a, it, there was definitely an adjustment to make, but I would say it was definitely on the good side. Yeah. One thing that I wanted, wanted to say, yeah, and um, that... It's great to hear like all of these other guys, including exactly what Cowie just said, because it's it helps validate. I do want to. It helps validate my own sort of thinking, at least my hopes uh, when I first got here. Um, inherent in your question, you had mentioned, okay, so well, the culture's awesome, and the question was around whether or not there's cult culture shock when people come in. Um, is the culture awesome? I think. The question is, 
has a premise that 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 there is something to be uh, something to be discerned, and I think that there's probably a fallacy in there that the culture is somehow. Um, I'm not going to dismiss the idea that um, that an organization has inertia and culture. I mean, inertia and momentum, but that's on behaviors, not on culture. And I think one of the things that we do well is not that we just like we indoctrinate people, like we 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 scare the assholeness out of people, you know. I think that instead we turn our focus from instead of preventing a bad culture, it's by making misunderstandings and 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 uh, easily repairable. Faulty information and misunderstandings, if you can't um, detect when they're happening and repair them quickly, that's what allows uh, the practices. To sort of drift from where you expect them to be, and you bad cultures happen when practices and behaviors drift from where you expect them to be. We, you know, we're here in New York. Um, us three are here in New York, and if you were to ask a New Yorker if they think that people in New York are terrible drivers, they're not going to say yes. They're going to say they're just drivers. Whereas if you ask the same person who comes from Kansas City to drive in Manhattan, or at least be in the back of a cab in Manhattan, they're going to say, those people are fucking crazy. And so um, there's a normalization that happens. And it's not just a normalization of don't be an asshole, because that sounds like more of a preventative measure. Instead, if we just eschew the idea that we're going to set it and forget it, and we make it incredibly easy for people to be like, hey, you said that thing in IRC. I, I think it sounds like you're really frustrated because you had a really shitty day. That's totally happened to me. I want you to know that you're kind of being a dick. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and the other person hearing that can say, oh, that sucks. Sorry about that. Um, thanks for telling me. The, that's, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, there's 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 no like special chip that we can stick in the back of somebody's neck that says that you're gonna be um, you know that you're gonna be a nice person and be um, you know Buddha like in your uh, you know abilities to to um, to sort of um, bring your best self. Should we tell, should we tell me an NFS over one story? That's a good example of this. Oh yeah, I I, I, I and that's I, I completely. Uh, jumped down Cowie's throat. This is at least maybe about a year ago. Um, he, he, he made a suggestion. He made a suggestion in, in full enthusiasm. He was helping, wanting to help solve a problem. And I think my exact words are, that is the dumbest idea that I think I've ever, that we could possibly go with. And I was on a video, and I was on a conference Sorry. call. With way more, way I think even larger than the operations team, I was an a, I was an absolute asshole to John Cowie, and I didn't I didn't realize it at the time. I, and actually, about uh, actually it wasn't too much longer after that. But my team made it very clear. Hmm, that's probably not that probably didn't come out the way you expected it to come out. 
um, and they're right. Um, and so being able to repair those things. Well is that you, you have to bear in mind, like in, in, in the organizational chart of things, Allspa, well, at the time, Allspa was my boss's boss. Allspa is now my boss's boss's boss. So it's in, in some companies, somebody, I mean, Allspa is a, a senior vice president. Some companies, that level of person, you can't interact with like that. You can't say to them, hey, you're being an asshole, or hey, that didn't come across the way you said it, because they'll probably fire you. So it, it's a pretty cool thing that, that we were able to say to Allspot, like, that really didn't come across quite the way you intended it. And Allspot was like, you know what, you're totally right. And now we're telling a story about it. And I still work here. Well, and you know what is, is an interesting thing I'm thinking about, too, when, when you said that about saying, oh, in, in another company, if you tell an SVP, hey, you were kind of being a jackass, he's probably going to fire you. And I, part of me thinks, like, no, you know what, he probably isn't, but you're going to assume that if you did, he would, so you're not going to do it. And right. It's that that thought. Like I, I was in an organization once where, when we were trying to do a lot of this automation stuff and put some some good reliable software release in place, and one of my sysadmins said, "Well, what happens when the CTO comes running down the hall and yelling and screaming and get this goddamn release out now? I don't give a shit." And yeah. this was always his answer. And I, I said that to our CTO once, and she goes, "When have I ever done that? Why, you know?" But it's this 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 underlying thing that is not necessarily based upon real. Examples I mean, of that, but the other stuff around it makes you think that's where it's going to go. Right. That's. I think the behavior and the culture are somewhat cyclical. They have to support each other. Yeah. Because you, know, you can have the intuition to you know, to want to you know be expressive of your your own emotions and say, hey man, what you just said was not cool. But if you have the the bigger emotion of I'm fearful for my job if I say something, because the the perceived culture is that you know you're going to lose your job. I would love to hear a little bit about what your your kind of what your infrastructure looks like. I know one of the big things that usually shocks people is that you guys are primarily bare metal, or at least the last time I heard this, that was a scoop, and that was at ChefConf when Cowie turned to me and said, I, I might be interested in looking at some cloud stuff, even though we're, it doesn't matter for Etsy because we're all bare metal. <laughs> you know? So what's what's your what what's it look like uh, at the low level for you guys for for the geeks out there? That, that is still the case. Our, our infrastructure is, is pretty much entirely bare metal. We do use, uh, we use S3 for, for you know, some image storage and some backup stuff. I mean, a, lar a large amount of the reason for that is not we're averse to the cloud per se. It's that we, have, like, we, we do a lot of capacity planning. I mean, Oswald literally wrote the book on it. We do a lot of capacity planning and things like that to plan. You know, we understand our seasonal traffic patterns quite well. We know what our traffic does at each time of the year. We, capacity plan accordingly. And honestly, we use we use the capacity on the physical hardware we have. Um, where our so our main code base is a monolithic PHP application. We we run the LAMP stack, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. And for example, we, we understand the workload of our applications. So this isn't the case if we you know if we had a physical web server we'd only be using five percent of the CPU and you know we could just save a ton of money by virtualizing and running ten VMs on the same box. Um, the, the physical hardware we have, we have to fill our capacity requirements, and we use it. Uh, we, you know, we use it accordingly, and we, we actually utilize the the, um, the the infrastructure we have. So it, it's it's partly a case of for us and our particular workload and our particular requirements. Um, I, I don't think it, it doesn't make commercial sense to move it, for example, to EC2. What 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 do you look at when you're you're, you're from a software delivery practice? Could you speak to that a little bit? 
We, we do do a lot of continuous delivery. We don't actually deploy the, the Etsy.com code base with Chef. That's, we have a separate tool we developed called Deployinator, which we deploy. So essentially, Chef is everything under the application code, so the you know, operating system and all the software that supports the application. Um, so the, we, we're big on continuous delivery. Uh, we're currently deploying somewhere in the order of 50, 60 times a day, I think. Um, and lar largely, the, the ethos is, is Make you know make small changes often. Um, so you know if something goes wrong, we recover quickly. You know we have generally when new code is deployed, it will be behind a feature flag, so you can turn it off quickly or you can gradually ramp it up. Um, our our entire kind of process and way of thinking is built around small rapid changes. And although we don't deploy the application code base with Chef, that's kind of transferred to the way we think about Chef as well. We we tend to make small rapid Chef changes much more often than you know, making one massive chef change once a month. Um, we have somewhere in the order of probably, I think the last count was somewhere around 40 people uh, who have knife keys and can, you know, make changes to the chef server. And we're talking, I think, a couple of hundred chef changes a month. Less than code deploys, but we, we make a lot of them. And it's just the same ethos. If small deploys fast and often, we have the, the monitoring and, you know, the metrics in place so that when something does go wrong, we can find out quickly and we can recover quickly and, and move on with our day, rather than it being this massive scary event when a bug, you know, a bug is shipped to production or you know we make a cookbook out of it or something like that. You, met, you know, talked about how a couple couple years ago, uh, Cowie was on a similar episode of um, Food Fight, and we'll put a link in the show notes. I, I recommend listening to it. It was a lot of fun, and I'm I'm curious, uh, Cowie, what what's changed? You know, you've been you've been at Etsy. You were new, newbie to Etsy at the time, and and you've been now you're the you know elder statesman, right? So what's <laughs> by elder statesman? I've I've been at Etsy two and a half years, so this is <laughs> it's not exactly like I'm a seasoned pensioner or anything. Um, I think for for me personally, I mean, I, I had been at Etsy roughly probably only a couple of months at the time I the time I did the the food fight show. I think one of the, one of the biggest changes has been the the company as a whole has pretty much doubled in size since then. Um, back back just after I joined, the company was somewhere around 250, 300 people, and we're now close to 500. And the engineering team, the engineering team has doubled in size, and correspondingly, the amount of infrastructure we have has has gone up massively as well. So it was kind of interesting for me seeing how uh, because when I started, I was obviously still quite still quite cynical in things, and I was thinking, you know, Etsy has all this nice culture and stuff, but surely it's not going to last. As the company gets bigger, there are going to be procedures and compliance and all this stuff that's basically going to suck the joy out of the job. Um, so it, it's, it's been quite interesting for me seeing how that wasn't the case and how, as the company's got bigger, you know, there, there have been, you know, challenges, for example. I mean, the, the part I've been most involved in is our chef workflow. We've had to evolve certain things. We've had to adapt um, because as the company gets bigger, different challenges arise. But... The interesting thing for me has been that how, with with that kind of uh, that kind of culture, also I was talking about about misunderstandings being easily fixable, and this kind of you know continuous delivery and you know communication and trusting has been how we've um, you know we've come up with these challenges. People have sat down and been like, okay, this needs fixed. Uh, so uh, uh, one example that particularly relates to me was uh, Knife Spark, one of the tools I wrote. We um, we use for all of our chef stuff. That's our kind of chef workflow tool. And a while ago, probably about six, seven months ago now, we were sat in the ops meeting, and it turned out the way we were using Spark kind of didn't completely work. Like, there is, as we got more chef users, it was beginning to, 
it was beginning to kind of slow people down slightly, some of the hoops we were having to jump through. And it was it was an, it was an interesting experience for me because whereas in a previous company I could see me like no 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 you're attacking my process this is change I don't like change it was being able to I guess it was having gained the perspective that comes from working in that kind of culture to be able to take on board what people were saying and be like okay you're you know I can I can see what you're saying this doesn't need change and, and rather than being defensive it's like okay let's look at how to change this and make this better. And I, I've seen that happen time and time again with different challenges that have cropped up as, as Etsy's got bigger, and that, that is largely the way it happens. If something comes up that needs change, then you know you go and speak to somebody or you know the, the manager in charge of that bit of the company or whatever. And you just have a discussion and like talk about well, this is this is what's happening. You know, how can we make this better? Like everybody seems genuinely interested in advancing advancing the state of the art in, in kind of what we're trying to do. There's no sort of there's no sort of defensiveness for kind of empire building. Like, no, you can't touch this. This is mine. You're eroding my power, sort of thing. So it's been interesting seeing as the company has, I mean, basically doubled in size, how we've managed to keep that culture. That's not saying we've stayed the same. Like I said, there's been a lot of changes, but we've been able to kind of utilize that culture to move through all those changes and end up where we are today. Do you think um, that this was... This, this philosophy that we keep talking about, this openness, this collaboration, and like you said, this actually, you know, giving a shit, is kind of inherent to the DNA of the company, like from the beginning, is that, is there, was there some type of, and, and also it's probably a little more towards you because you've got more historical bent on this, like what, was that almost from day one or was there an adjustment that, that kind of happened? And I'm thinking for people that are wanting to make this type of transition or transformation in their organization today. Um, it's a good question. Um, so it's a sort of piecemeal. I know a lot of people say, um, a lot of people have asked me, okay, well, how do I, how do I do this? You know, we, we my, you know, I, I want to do some of that stuff. How do I do that at my company? And, and usually what I say is, I don't know. Uh, I, I was in charge. So, I don't know how somebody. I've never been. In, I haven't been in a position where um, I, I I didn't have the requisite authority to um, to sort of make those changes, um, or at least it's been a very long time since that was the case. Actually, ten years ago, that was the last time that I wasn't in a position of authority that could. Um, that could that could make uh, material or at least large scale changes in practices. Um, having said that, uh, the even so, having learning reviews or, or after action reports, or at least I think what we what we generally refer to as postmortems, that was something that that we introduced um, that I introduced here, and the requirement was that it needed to be. Um, filled with diverse perspectives, it, that, and sort of the tenets of I get you know what what are now known as blameless postmortems um, required having diverse perspectives in the room. It's essentially a debriefing, and that helped. It helped a lot because then um, people from all over the organization would be able to to sort of give their own narrative and 
and then add or you know add it to others' perspective, not just in a technical realm, but as but um, uh, finance and legal and uh, customer support and um, fraud detection and 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 design, all of those types of types of groups. So that that made for a decent. Um, uh, a decent place for people to to to, to try to uh, at least attempt to understand other people's perspectives. Um, the other thing that is just very very it's sometimes easy for me to completely forget um, is when for so when developers deploy their own code there is there's a bunch of things that can happen. It means that. Development cares much more about how their code is running in production, and then they are challenged with by themselves to come up with answers to questions that they may not know. So those 50 or 60 times a day, or however many times a day we deploy, I'm not sure. I used to say that we're not so secretly turning um, software developers who come work at Etsy into ops people. We don't even. I'm not. I don't even know. I don't know how many times we've deployed. Because um, I haven't been even when I even when I was on call and uh, was working on tickets when I first got here. You guys don't know how many times today. No, there's I'm, a dashboard right. There's a dashboard <laughs> we can find out, but th it's because ops is too busy. There, there. So many people have said to me, "Well, if developers deploy code, then what is op what what do operations do?" <laughs> like, are you joking? If if operations isn't um, tasked with shepherding or chaperoning or releasing or anything like that, there's an immense amount of proactive work. Um, I don't know. If, uh, so I, I think that when that happens, um, you get you get developers having that. Um, it's almost sort of like you know not forced empathy, but they they are they don't have to simulate. They are taking the perspective of an operations engineer, and I think that's I think that's hugely motivating, and it brings it brings a huge amount of creative problem solving um, uh, to the table that wouldn't wouldn't ordinarily have happened if operations were were in the critical path of that. Does that make sense? It does, and actually, it was it was. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that when you said the hey, if developers if ops isn't deploying code, what the hell are they doing? And I, when I was running tech ops uh, at another e-commerce site, that was exactly what came up when we were talking about a lot of automation is the, the sysadmins on my team said, well, wait a minute, if this is all automated, then what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to do cool stuff rather than copy files around all the time. You know, I mean, there's all these things that, you, like you said, you don't, you never get around to because you're you're doing all the stuff that either developers could be doing or even better robots could be doing, you know? Yeah. So, and from, yeah. from my perspective as a developer, it's absolutely, you know, if somebody, if there's an ops team able to, to think for me, then I have no motivation to try and solve that problem. But if I'm, if I'm included as part of that process, then it, you know, it is my responsibility. I have to take that challenge on. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, that's one cool thing we also do here is that um, we have what we have, uh, what we call designated ops people for different teams. So, like, 
if uh, you can be assigned to like I don't know somewhere in the homepage with the home homepage team. So uh, the philosophy there is pretty much to you know help them out if they have anything like ops related questions, anything with you know setting up new Nagus alert checks or stuff like that or graphs. But the idea, the main idea is actually to to show them how to do this stuff so they can actually bring that to their team. So um, so they enable them to actually you know. Uh, you know, if you want to do like Nagus checks, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, you know, send metrics to Graphite and start graphing stuff. Like, we'll we'll show you. We'll hear. We'll we're not. You know, we're not trying to hold anything. You know, let's let us show you so you can actually do it and actually um, we'll be there to help you out too. One of the more uh, one of the more interesting examples of, of just what David was talking about there is in our on call rotation. We actually have a member of our DevTools team who is a by 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 occupation a developer. He's not technically part of the operations team. He was sufficiently interested in that side of operations that he requested to be in the on-call rotation and has been, I think, for the last year. Somebody asked to be on-call. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Guys are doing something yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of shocking. <laughs> so what kind of... So Matt wrote this question, so I don't know if I would have used the term mud pies, but what mud pies... Did you guys make that uh, might help other organizations learn? So you know, what 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 were your missteps that you guys are, became aware of that you solved? Now, John, beginning of the episode, you mentioned um, you know there are these little you guys have been solving these little easy problems. Could you uh, maybe touch on a couple of what those problems were? Um. So. I guess so. What one we've been focusing quite a lot recently. Um, one of our one of our other relatively kind of newer members of the team, uh, Ryan France, his, his middle name has become Context. Uh, Ryan Context France. And his, his whole thing, like what really, what's got him really excited at the moment, is taking our Nagios alerts and adding context to them. So we get, you know, we still get paged when things happen. We've put a fair amount of effort into trying to make sure that when we get paged, it's for something we actually need to deal with. So that was kind of step one of the process. Step two, what Ryan's been working on really, really hard is when you get that page, um, we've all probably seen Nagios pages that just tell you, oh, disk space on the server's broken, then you get that big long line of meaningless disk stats. What Ryan's, what Ryan's basically been working on is, a, like, so when you get that alert, it will say, okay, um, disks on, disk space on web 200 is warning. Then it will give you like a, a kind of ribbon graph of all the partitions, and you can see which ones fill up. Then it will give you the ganglia graph of disk space on that box, so you can see if it just tipped over the threshold or if it's massively gone up you know, really, really quickly. And then it will give you like a sensible breakdown at the end of exactly uh, how far over the threshold it is and where the threshold was, like what percent was the threshold, and things like that. So just like, so when you wake up, you can fit, when, you know, four in the morning you just got paged, you can just look at that email and you can see Oh, hey, this is gives you it gives you the information you need to be able to make the decision on what you have to do next, rather than having to wake up, get to your laptop, turn it on, log on to the VPN, log on to Nagios, then try and figure out what you're supposed to do. Because it might be the case that you can just act the alert by email. If it's just tipped over the threshold, you can act the alert by email and fix it in the morning. If you have to get out of bed and go to your computer to figure out that first, it just makes the experience much more sucky. So it's, it's things like that. Like it's in, it's actively in our interest to do this stuff, yeah. but it's only kind of only by spending time on it we're actually able to solve this problem. It's it's not gonna 
disappear by itself. So that's that I would say in terms right. of quality of life certainly that's been one of the biggest improvements that we've been able to that we've been able to do. Yeah. I mean I think another one that probably we kinda are spoil on and we overlooked a lot is our host host building process. It's so automated that uh, you know, in my last company, we used to spend so much time trying to you know build multiple hosts. Like, our, we have so many automated. To, we have a, you know pretty much a host building stack. Pretty much, uh, we can bring up a server in a matter of a minutes, five minutes to so. I mean, it's uh, little stuff like that where hey, we let's we're gonna you know we're thinking of getting a new data center. All right, we don't have to worry about you know like you know building you know like a hundred servers. We'll just run a few commands and they'll start building up like that. So. That's another big one, I think, that um, we kind of saw. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a you know we overlook it a lot because it's so simple for us. But I, I mean, it's 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 very time consuming if you have to do like all the manual step of like doing the rate configuration, then actually you know uh, you know pixie booting the server, and then we have it right down to like you know I think it's I want to say like five to ten minutes per server. So it's it's you know it's pretty lucky to have that. <laughs> And then that's that's talking bare metal too, right? You know, I mean, you know, you're like, hey, great, yeah. you guys in the cloud, you can spin your VMs up in 15 minutes, whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got hardware going too, so that's yeah, that's that's, true. that's huge. Yeah. So I guess uh, we're coming coming up towards towards our tail end here. I want to give a chance for everybody to before we move into our checkouts, if there's some thoughts that you would have about what you've maybe the the thing that you've learned the most from being part of this team at Etsy. Um, I guess I can go first. Uh, I think honestly, it's uh, what I've learned the most here is that um, you know I always had the philosophy: always learn something new, always learn something new. And then here, it's like it's okay if you don't know, and you know you don't know everything. I mean, there's there's so many uh, you know resources around you, so the you know uh, always have that drive and that hunger to learn, and you know it, and you can um, you know you can broaden your skill set by just you know. You know, touching new technologies and working on you know, new things you probably haven't done before. So, uh, just just that right there, I think it's you know, that's that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I can say what I've learned from here is uh, the the value and I guess the importance of just asking questions. Um, everyone here has been you know more than accessible and willing to help. And uh, you know, to David's point, that'll just accelerate your uh, your skill set and ability to learn more. I'll spot what you learned. I've learned that um, every time that I think that uh, some sort of a size barrier um, exists, I'm always proven wrong. Um, uh, there, quite often you'll you'll hear, oh well, we can't do that because because um, the company's too big, or this will work now, but it won't work later. Bullshit. Um, I, I, uh, that's the one thing over and over and over um, that I continue to uh, that things fail at a certain size because you expect them to and aren't putting in enough effort um, to to do the work to make them not uh, break down. That's my that's that's my that's my pithy <laughs> learning that I'll give you. Cowie? I would say probably the standout thing for me I've learned since I've been here is quite how much you can get done, the kind of the things you can do when the consequence for failure is learning more stuff. 
Oh, nice. That's my even pithier one. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's move into our uh, checkouts. So, Cowie, what do you got for us? Uh, so I've been, uh, one of my frequent bugbears over the last year has been uh, chefing stuff on Macs, which is a horrible experience since Apple seemed determined to make it hard to do anything without clicking buttons. Um, so my my uh, my mentions this week are, are two chef cookbooks. Uh, one is the DMG cookbook, which is maintained by, by now maintained by Chef, um, which basically has a whole bunch of, of uh, resources for things like unpacking a DMG and installing a PKG file inside it, and just the whole all of the stuff you would want to do with packages on Macs. And the second one I want to call out is, is Fletcher Nichols' RBN cookbook, which has uh, single-handedly saved my somewhat long hair, which I'm quite pleased to have kept, <laughs> which I did not have to tear out by trying to set up multiple Ruby environments on Macs via Chef in an automated fashion. Awesome. David? Um, actually, I, I just recently became a fan of push, uh, pushover.net. Uh, it's this uh, utility you can use to do push notifications to your phone, different applications. Um, and I, I run a, a terminal client for, my, for IRC. And I, I'm getting all my, like, anytime someone messages me on IRC, I get a push notification on my phone. And you can set it up to go to, like, emails and other applications. You can do a lot of cool things. You can, uh, the API is very, uh, very accessible. You can do a lot of things. So uh, pushover.net, it's, it's a great utility that you can use. And it works for Android, iOS. They even have a desktop application, which is, I think, it's only, like, $4.99. And it's pretty cool. You can do a lot of things with that. Cool. Pete? I'm going to switch gears here and go with libations. Uh, whiskey, <laughs> Buffalo Trace. Oh, yes. Yes. Favorite here amongst yes. Us. So if you haven't had it, try it. And uh, Mr. Allspot. Um, I, I just recently re-watched um, a presentation by a very smart guy named Lloyd Taylor. Um, and uh, it was a, the name of the talk is called Hacking Your Organization. It was in a 2000, I think it was 2011, pretty sure it was 2011, uh, QConf um, in San Francisco. And um, the QConf you know, site has the entire video and slides. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very well worth the 45 minutes or so um, to watch, especially for anybody who's interested in the stuff we've been talking about today. Cool. I'll trace. Uh, hunt that down. Uh, I'll hunt down that link and we'll put it in the show notes. Trevor. All right. So I just found a, a site the other day called Shortcut Foo, and uh, I totally, totally suck at Vim, and I don't want to totally, totally suck at Vim. And so this site actually, it doesn't just do Vim, it does other applications as well, but Vim is one of them, and it teaches you the shortcuts of getting around different IDEs and other environments. Um, so I'm going to teach myself how to get around Vim with this tool. And secondly, I finally sat down and watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and uh, I was very happy to have done so. Uh, it tied in really well with uh, the Dark World and with Winter Soldier. Uh, mine, actually, so Trevor, once you actually learn all the uh, Vim shortcuts, you can take advantage of my checkout, which is a Google Chrome extension called Vimium, which ah, yeah. gives you keyboard shortcuts for navigating and controlling Chrome. 
using Vim shortcuts. Um, it's <laughs> amazing. And it's at vimium.github.io, and we'll put in a link. The other thing that I just heard about this morning is there's a Kickstarter for a uh, card game called Release. And so it's a card game about software release. And it looks absolutely hilarious and intriguing and interesting. Um, they have uh, specialty cards for Patrick Dubois and Jez Humble and a bunch of other people they aren't telling us about yet. So for all we know, Alspa might be in there, and he just is keeping it quiet. I don't know. So, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I also want to make sure everybody knows or remembers, um, we do have an email newsletter. It's at arresteddevops.com slash banana stand. And it's the best way to find out about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. We promise we won't send you something more than once a week, and we never, ever, ever distribute that email address to anybody else. And you can take our survey at arresteddevops.com survey for a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Now, only listeners to the podcast can enter, so don't tell anybody that secret link I just told you. Um, and if you are listening to this later, the contest will end on June 15, 2014, so don't bother trying to do it like a year from now. Thanks to our amazing panel for joining us today. Thank you to uh, John Cowie and David Yerkowitz, Pete Belisano, and John Allspot. And I hope that a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of it. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. If you're new to us, you know, find us at ArrestedDevOps.com. We're at ArrestedDevOps on Twitter. Um, I am Matt. I'm at Matt Stratton. And I'm Trevor at Trevor G. Hess on Twitter. We are Arrested DevOps. And remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand. Mm -hmm.